Welcome to the We Are All Needed podcast, a space where we together will inspire people to do something good. This podcast is for all of us that care. We care about how we spend our days, how we show up for each other and for the planet. I'm your host, Alexander Nash. I am many things as we all are, but the things I most proudly identify with are I'm an entrepreneur, a mother, business coach, athlete, and meditation teacher. I've roamed the impact startup world for over 15 years now, and I feel like it is time to share the stories of so many fascinating people doing so many incredible things. Together with the guests on this show, we will provide inspiration that no act is too small and that we are all needed. Let's dive in to this week's episode. Today, I'm welcoming Michelle Chavez to the podcast. Michelle is the co-founder, together with Faye Grant, of The Tote Project, a company that makes ethical and sustainable goods that exist to empower survivors of human trafficking. The Tote Project is based on friendship and on a shared dream. It includes a shared passion for empowerment, for restoration, and for freedom. Faye and Michelle's passion for fighting trafficking extends to countless hours of personal dedication that includes time mentoring survivors one-on-one, workshops and art classes for those who have been trafficked. Michelle and her husband live in Southern California with their daughter, son, and a rescue pup. In this conversation, we talk about the importance of knowing some practical steps when you find a cause close to your heart and want to make a true difference. We also talk about the different ways a human can be trafficked and the importance of truly knowing where the money you spend goes. Michelle and Faye have been so generous and given you, the listener, the code NEEDED, all caps, for 20% off your orders. It can't be combined with other discounts. And the code is valid through June 30th, 2024. Just go to www.thetoteproject.com and order your tote today. Hi, Michelle. Welcome to the We Are All Needed podcast. It's so lovely for you to take the time to be here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this. And that's great. And on this podcast, I always like to start and jump in right away with a question that kind of lands a straight on topic um, before we get to know you a little bit better. So the question I have for you is, if you got to view the future in the most idealistic way possible, what would that future look like for you? I love that question. For me and for the Tote Project, we would love to see a world where everyone is free and not just free from human trafficking, but free and thriving. enjoying their lives, full of joy, um, pursuing their dreams, um, free from, you know, things that drag them down and keep them in a, um, how would you put it, just uh, kind of affect their self-esteem, you know, um, but free to just pursue the future that they want to pursue. It's beautiful. And so you mentioned the Tote Project there a little bit. So uh tell me tell us a little bit about who you are and 
where you're at in the world and what you do. Yes, so I am one half of the Tote Project. Um, me and my best friend, Faye, founded it together um, just about 10 years ago. Wow. So it's been a crazy journey in the past decade. Um, we started it together on our living room floors. Um, Faye used to live in Los Angeles with me, and then she moved cross-country and wanted to pursue um, just a different career and start over with like doing something that made a difference because she'd been working in the entertainment industry and kind of feeling that burnout. And she had this idea to um, start a, like a bag company. So she started sewing tote bags out of vintage scraps of fabric and um, wanted to give back. And um, her bags were doing really well on Etsy. She was selling out, but it took her a long time to hand sew all these things. And so She's like, I can't really scale this company because it's taking me, you know, like a week to make one bag. Yeah. And she's like, but the the concept is doing well. So maybe we can mass produce something. And this was in 2013 when um, there was a plastic bag ban in Los Angeles. And um, Faye and I were chatting and she just was like, this is good timing to start a tote bag company. Like, what if we start a company and do it together? And um, her and I, when she did live here in LA, always talked about our mutual love of um, supporting survivors of human trafficking and fighting human trafficking. And we were always looking for ways to volunteer together. So she's like, what if this is the way we can do it? Just start a business. And even though we live on opposite coasts, we can make a difference together. So that's how the Tote Project was born. I said, yeah, let's go for it. And um, it's been just a decade of really wonderful experiences and great business relationships. Um, we met you probably almost a decade ago at this point. I think <laughs> it so must many, have been, yeah. Right, like around that time, maybe 2015 or something. Um, but we, uh, we started looking for suppliers right away and we realized the importance of fair trade manufacturing because we didn't want to have a product that claimed to, you know, fight human trafficking if we were accidentally using, um, you know, unpaid or slave labor in our supply chain. And so we decided to go with a fair trade organization. Um, and we actually connected with a fair trade co-op that um, hired survivors to sew the bags. And so it was really an exciting full circle moment where in the, the you know beginning of our company, we had survivors making the bags in India, and then we were able to put our manufacturing costs towards them. And then um, we gave back 10% of our profits to a program in Los Angeles um, to help survivors in LA that were pursuing their dream jobs um, through a nonprofit. So it's like helping women all around the world. <laughs> Wow. Is that where you're still doing your production in India or has it changed? So it has changed, but we still have um, some pouches manufactured with that original co-op because we love them and we want to support what they're doing. And as we've outgrown their factory size, we um, started making our bigger tote bags at other, fa other fair trade factories. Um, but we still always have some pouches made at the original one. Um, and in fact, we just got an order in yesterday from that factory, which was exciting. Um, so now we're doing 
We have the big tote bags, we have the small pouches, and we're about to launch um, a brand new collection in a couple, when will it be? Um, basically in beginning of November um, with laptop bags and um, like cosmetic bags and pencil pouches. So we're super excited about that. <laughs> oh, wow. That's really exciting. That's your first is that your first like launch of a new product in quite a while because you've been been doing the pouches and the tote bags for a while right yes exactly it's something that we've dreamed about because we would come out with a bunch of new designs but the designs would always be printed on the either a tote or a pouch and we've done different versions of our tote like our original totes were smaller and our new ones are huge. Like you could put your child, like my, my four-year-old can like fit inside of the bag and play peekaboo and pop out. Oh, that's so, it's so big, but it's great. Like, so um, that's, it's been fun to work on that. But at the same time, we're like, we want to do other bags. Our dream would be to have purses and wallets and like everything, every kind of tote you can imagine. So this is finally like taking a step towards that. Oh, that's great. I have to make sure I check those out when they come out and uh, and link to everyone when they're there to buy. Yeah, I'll give you a sneak peek afterwards. I'll send you some pictures. <laughs> oh, I'd love to see that. That's exciting. And how how did you and Faye know that human trafficking was your, you know, was your thing to try to put your efforts towards and your place of change and impact compared to any other issue out there? Well, for me, we kind of came to it from separate paths. Um, for me, I became really interested in fighting trafficking in college. And um, it was through watching a documentary called Call and Response. And um, I don't even know if you can still even watch this anymore. You know, it's like probably on iTunes or something. But um, at the time, it was in the theater. And um it, it, they showed really horrific footage of children like in brothels, like undercover footage. And uh, they called it call and response because the idea was we're going to show you the like awful reality of human trafficking and it's a call to action. And now we're going to ask you for a response. Like, how are you going to respond to this reality of trafficking? And so it was like really painful to watch this. And afterwards I was just sobbing as I was leaving the theater they gave me a card. It's like, if you're interested in fighting trafficking, here's uh, 20 ways you can do, do it. And as in college, didn't have a lot of money, but all the things were attainable. It wasn't like donate a million dollars. It's like That's a really good fear. way of them actually to, you know, to get people involved. That's very um, clever and genuine. Right. Because a lot of times these huge issues feel unsolvable and you might leave, like, if I didn't get that card, I would have left the movie theater just being overwhelmed with sadness and feeling just devastated. And when you feel that way, if you don't have an outlet for it, it's kind of natural to just repress that feeling and not think about it. It's like you get overwhelmed by despair and like paralyzed by it. And when you're in that space, you're not going to actually help and do anything. Exactly. And so- um, they really did like they were so smart to be like all right don't end there like here's things you can do and it's as simple as buying different chocolate and hosting a movie night and um, you know it's just like a list like I said 20 like easy things to do and so I uh, ended up joining a club on campus that was about fighting trafficking and um, I ended up writing like my um, 
we had like a dissertation for my bachelor's that I had to do. It was like on a smaller scale, like a PhD one, but um, I ended up doing mine on um, how to end human trafficking. And so I did a ton of research on it and was just really invested, like going to conferences, volunteering. And I was so certain that when I graduated, I would be doing that for my job full time. And I quickly found out that like, you know, most of the nonprofits wouldn't pay enough for me to be able to pay off my student debt. <laughs> and yeah. a lot of, I was wanting to work for the government and find it somehow. And all of those positions started off as like unpaid position in the white house where you have to like volunteer for like a year or something, be a page. And like, I can't do that. I've got bills to pay. And so, um, I ended up in the corporate like tech world at a tech startup. Um, and so fast forward to when I met Faye, she was working in the music industry and we became best friends and we would hang out a lot and just talk about our interests. And I, you know, so she learned about how I was really passionate about that. And I would tell her how I felt kind of bummed because I wasn't doing anything about it anymore. It's like, it used to be like at least once a week, I felt like I was making a difference yeah. and, you know, doing something. We used to go like door to door to motels in our neighborhood and um, talk to the motel owners about like signs of trafficking, like just raising awareness everywhere. So it went from that to like, okay, now I buy fair trade stuff, but that's it. And I want to do more. Um, and Faye was really, really passionate about, um, all sorts of like, you know, anything that affects women, whether it's domestic violence or trafficking or, um, abuse. And, um, she's had her own like personal history with, um, some of that stuff where it really, um, speaks to her, like meeting survivors and, um, kind of counseling them and encouraging them, like really speaks to her heart. And so we just bonded over that and we're like, let's do it together. Like, let's try to make a difference. And then we'd be like drinking wine, thinking about like, what can we do? And we're so tired. And it was like, well, we'll figure it out next week. And, you know, we just never got around to it until she got this idea. So. <laughs> and how, have, had you seen other, you know, I guess you could call them the one for one model or some version of that, that it all came there with Tom shoes. Had you seen something like that before, or did you just think, Ooh, you know, we can give part of our, our profit. Cause I don't think it's, it's not, it's not always the natural place to go to unless you've seen it before, you know, to make the connection between, Oh, let's start a business so that I can give back. Because like you say, often we think, Oh, I got to go and work for a nonprofit. That's the only way, you know, that I can contribute to the cause. Totally. Well, it's funny you mentioned Tom's because, yes, it was Tom's that inspired us. We we had actually read, um, I forget the name of it now, but the book that the founder of Tom's had written about, I, you probably read it too. But yeah, about, it's, the, it's the same book that made me start Yumi, actually. I can't <laughs> well, remember what it's called now either, but yeah. It was a very just infectious idea, like in the best way possible. Like, wow, okay, you can be creative and use your creativity to give back. And um, for us, we didn't want to do the one for one model specifically because we didn't know how that would work with tote bags. Like, I don't know how big of a need there is for people to like give a tote bag to a kid yeah. in need. We're like, we can probably um, raise some money and and give back and you know support a nonprofit. And actually we were like, let's try to find another nonprofit that is newer, like we're new so that we can grow together and like support each other as we grow. And, um, it was just kind of serendipitous. 
that we discovered, um, they used to be called Two Wings. Now they're called Qualified Academy, but um, this nonprofit in LA that helps survivors, like I said earlier, figure out their dream jobs and um, they pair them with occupational therapists to help them during their career journey, like feel safe and um, make sure they're set up for success once they get that job. Uh, so we just thought it was a really neat program and they were new, we were new and we had some friends that were volunteering there. And so it all kind of just came together. And it's the same, it's been the same uh, nonprofit that you've supported through the whole the whole journey or have you at some point switched or added or have you stuck to that to the same yes well so far like for the past 10 years we really have donated um 10 of our profits sometimes we've gone above and done gross profits um for actually most of the time we've done gross profits recently we decided in order for our business to grow we should do net profits um but we it's been yeah two wings and now qualified academy um but in the ne- in the last couple years we've started branching out and doing more partnerships so that's like our baseline give back model um where we look at our books every quarter and donate you know the 10% but we also will do one off bags um like we just did a partnership with Salvation Army Um, where we hosted an art academy for the survivors in their safe house. And um, that's something we've really enjoyed doing during COVID because we can do it virtually. Um, And now that COVID's getting like waning a little bit, we've been able to do more in person too. But it's really amazing because we'll get to do this art workshop and it's very therapeutic and healing. And I'm really bad at art, but I even enjoy like painting my feelings and (laughs) just going through it and um at the end we'll take um and we don't do this every time but for this the programs that want to do it we'll turn their art into a design that we put on a tote bag and so um we did that with the salvation army group and made a hope tote out of all the flowers that they did and um it was really cool because they got to do an art opening at city hall in las vegas and all the like the local news stations covered it and it was a really cool partnership that's great. And what throughout this 10-year journey has been your biggest surprise so far? Our biggest surprise? Um, well, one there's one day that I went to get our mail and um, got this huge packet. Like It was like this thick packet from the government. And my first thought was like, oh, great. It's probably like getting audited for our taxes or something. Some yeah. like, you know, negative thing. Like, what okay. have I done wrong is always my first thing when I get anything <laughs> like that. Exactly. exactly. It's like, oh, here we go. I'm going to have to hire someone to go through my taxes again. But um, when I opened it, it was actually this like big certificate thing in like a book from Congress. And it said that they were recognizing us for our work fighting human trafficking and um, there was a congressman from Texas who had given a speech and he talked about us in his speech before everybody and the text from the speech was in there and we got this like little certificate and it was just really cool because we we're like wow the government is recognizing our work and who knew that they even knew about us we've never heard of this congressman before so it was cool that you know the word was getting out there and um, our message of holding on to hope and um, making a difference was getting spread to that level <laughs> wow that must have felt really special it was it was very exciting and Faye and I still share the like plaque that we got we'll like take turns having it at our at our houses 
Uh, did you ever find out how the congressman found out about you? No, in fact, we actually tried contacting him to thank him. Um, we wrote him a letter to his office. And like, I think on Twitter, we tweeted at him and thanked him. Um, never heard back at all. So interesting. We're like, all right, thank you. We don't know how it happened, but we're grateful that it happened. <laughs> That's the beauty of uh, the entrepreneurial journey, isn't it? Like once you start something or, I mean, I guess not necessarily just an entrepreneurial journey, but when you put something out there that you really have passion for, you never really know who, you know, where it's going to land or who is going to pick it up or where it's going to go. It's true. It's exciting to see, like seeing your stuff out in the wild. And it's, um, it's special for us, like knowing that our messages are about spreading hope and sparking conversations about the subject that uh, it's cool to hear when it's actually accomplishing that purpose and people are talking about it and, you know, we hear from people we don't recognize on social media saying like, yeah, I had my bag and somebody asked me about it. And I got to share about the mission of the Tote Project. Yay. Yeah. We're doing it. <laughs> and I mean, it's been, like you said, it's been 10 years and it's, how do you feel the issue has changed from then um, to now? Um, because I was just having a conversation with one of my daughters about this really big um how, how would I not out them? A big Chinese clothing company that's selling a lot of clothes at the moment. And yep. <laughs> it is hard in our house. We've just said a strict no, so they can't order anything from there. But all their, the majority of their friends do. And we had this conversation about why. Uh, and I was trying to explain, you know, working conditions and why they work. And, you know, speaking about these things with an eight-year-old, um, she was very she was like well why doesn't someone just tell them that they can't work like that or why doesn't someone protect them or don't they have people that you know decide in the country or why don't we tell the country that they can't do she had so many questions and I didn't really have any of the answers so how would you you know how would you talk to someone like that because now it's like 10 years later and we're still you know, brands and concepts are still coming out that has, you know, those kind of conditions. Absolutely. Well, it, it's been so interesting to just see the trajectory of human trafficking kind of in the news and um, awareness grow over the years. Because I feel like when I learned about it in college, that would have been like in 2009, I think. Um, so around that time there was documentaries coming out like on that kind of grassroots level college yeah. students were talking about it and some books were coming out um where people were just learning that it does actually exist like back then the message was like slavery is still happening around the world and maybe in your backyard um more of the more of the narrative was around international trafficking i think than what it looked like in America necessarily, like that nonprofit or not nonprofit, the um the documentary that I mentioned earlier was showing brothels like in India and different places, not in America. Um, but for Americans, like trafficking looks very different than it does in other countries. And I'm sure like in Sweden too, it looks very different. Yeah. Probably similar to how it looks here. Um, it's more complicated with like our border countries and stuff, but um a lot of times people in America are trafficked 
um, just from within America. It's not necessarily people being brought across the border. Um, a lot of times it's people being trafficked by their mom or their quote unquote boyfriend or their grandparents. Um, it's not always like a kidnapping situation where in India, a lot of times children are kidnapped and forced into trafficking. So it's like these two very different ways of trafficking people. Um, so anyway, with that kind of um, uh, delineation in the news, they kind of confuse the messaging sometimes. So it's kind of like around, say back in 2009, 2010, people started learning about it. More and more people spread the word. And then at some point, um, a lot of misinformation started getting spread around. And so I would say that like most adults now probably know that human trafficking is real and that it exists. But today, some of the misinformation has gotten so out of hand that it's like not even helpful anymore. Um, like, I don't know if you remember hearing there's a conspiracy that Wayfair was trafficking children in their cabinets. Um, oh, yeah. 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 And so all this effort and energy was being put towards like stopping Wayfair from trafficking when that's not where trafficking is happening, you know? And so then there's like the rise of QAnon and all of the misinformation that happened during COVID with human trafficking. And now there's like some movies coming out that, um, you know, the don't focus on what trafficking is really like here in America. And people are confusing it with like, oh, it's just our kids getting snatched off the streets. So anyway, it's kind of a long-winded way of answering, but um, I feel like it, the awareness has grown in a big way in the past decade, but now it's like combating all the misinformation that's out there. Um, that's kind of like the biggest challenge. How would you, um, how would you, for someone that's not so like well-averse on the issue, how would you, if you took an example of a case where someone was, was trafficked in a, in a country like America, what could that what what does that look like? Typically, um, there well, there's a couple of risk factors for somebody being trafficked in America. If they're a foster student or fo I mean foster youth, um, if they um, are homeless, um, if they are LGBTQ, um, if they have been abused in the past, basically different things like that that make them vulnerable. Um, traffickers prey on vulnerabilities. And so um, a lot of times uh, someone, like a typical case of somebody being trafficked, say there's a girl who had been abused by a relative and decided to run away from home. And so when she runs away from home, um, goes to the mall and um, meets, there'll be like a guy at the mall who's like, hey, you know, like basically strikes up a conversation, flirts with her, convinces her that he's like interested in dating her. And a lot of times um, these uh, women end up in quote unquote relationships with their trafficker and they don't even realize that they're being trafficked. Like they basically end up being drawn to a trafficker because they're running away from home and the guy will convince them that he's going to be their boyfriend and take care of them. And um, it's kind of, it's either like a longer grooming process where they're still living at home and he's kind of grooming them, or it's like a fast thing, like run away with me and I'll take care of you. Um, but a lot of times it's not like kidnapping, it's manipulation. So it's a guy seeing a vulnerable girl at a mall or at a bus stop by herself. And then 
just trying to help her out in these different ways or offering to buy her things. And um, so anyway, for whatever reason, she'll end up going with him. And then um, it's a longer manipulation where um, she has to be tricked from going from his quote unquote girlfriend to being willing to, you know, perform sex acts with other people. And a lot of times they'll be, the guy will say something like, come on, like, I really need the money. If, if you can do this for us, like we can buy a house and like, you won't have to do this for very long. Like just do it for X amount of, you know, weeks and then it'll help pay off these bills. And then we can really run away together, whatever it is. And they get them kind of in this cycle. And the whole time they think they're doing this for their boyfriend and for their relationship. And they don't realize that the guy has like a bunch of other girls like them. Um, Same thing. Yeah. So that's kind of like what it typically looks like. A lot of times there's a lot of, there's this like uh, narrative about rescuing people. Well, in America, a lot of times the victims have to rescue themselves because they have to actually be aware, like realize what's happening to them and be able to tell law enforcement, um, okay, this is what was happening. Like a lot of times they'll get arrested for say prostitution and then you know, they're not, they still think like, oh, this was my choice. And they don't realize that they were manipulated into it. So if they're able to stand up for themselves and say, um, no, this happened to me, like, and this is the, the truth of the situation, they can kind of set themselves free and be given the services and opportunities to go to a safe house and, and recover from that experience. Um, so and is is trafficking always is it always sex trafficking or can trafficking be like can can the um the person that draws you know like the the girl in this case in can they have them i don't know i don't know how to use the right vocabulary but can they have them do other things or is it always is it always like a sex trafficking thing does that make sense? It's not always that. So it's kind of, it's, it's hard to talk about trafficking sometimes because there's different, so many different types, you know? Yeah. And so my mind goes to sex trafficking a lot because it's currently like, you know, a hot topic in the U S and because again, because of movies and things that are out right now, but, um, but no labor trafficking actually brings me back to your question about the Chinese brand that's trafficking for, for their clothing line. Um, and absolutely labor trafficking happens as well. And um, even in LA in the garment district, there's a lot of people who are trafficked for labor. And that looks more like, um, at least here locally, what I'm familiar with, somebody might be promised a job in a factory. And um, the the person who promises them the job, like say they're from Mexico and they need to get across the border and they're trying to earn money. So this guy will promise them like, okay, we're going to um, provide you with a job and I'll help you get across the border, but I need your passport. And I need to like keep all your stuff, um, your ID and everything um, to keep it safe while we cross or whatever. Yeah. So they end up entering America and now they don't have any of their documents. And um, they, a lot of times enter illegally, but not necessarily always, but one way or the other, they end up in this job and then they don't have a lot of money to um, like live in LA. And so the trafficker could put them up in a house and say, okay, so say you make um, however much, I, I'm not sure what they would make per week. They would actually pretend to kind of pay them. Like you're going to make $500 a week. Um, and so that comes out 
to like 2000 a month, but then you have to pay me back for housing and food and the fuel for the car to transport you. And that actually comes out to uh, 2,500 per month. So basically they, they have the system set up where they're always in debt to them. And so they become like an indentured servant where they can never pay off this debt. And the longer they work there, they're never making any money. They're only getting further and further in debt to the person who put them in that position. Um, so that's like a common way that that happens here. Again, like in other countries, people could literally just be kidnapped and forced to make bricks or um, pick, you know, vegetables or whatever the labor is that they're trafficking them for. Like it's, a lot of times people are trafficked for like to be maids in someone's house. Um, so there's that. And then a third type could be the overlap between the two where someone's trafficked for labor. Like you hear about this in the fields a lot, like somebody who goes to pick vegetables, but then they also traffic them for sex after they're done with their work at the end of the day. So there's like all these different configurations, basically. So there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of different ways um, that it can happen. Absolutely. And and how do you, um, when you work on such a, what I could imagine is sometimes, you know, a heavy, um, you know, a heavy cost to, to work around. Um, and also you're on the entrepreneurial journey at the same time that can have obviously its challenges and its stressful moments. How do you and Faye, you know, nurture yourselves to be able to sustain uh, your, you know, your life as well? Because you've, you've managed it for 10 years, which is in entrepreneurial years, a lot, a long time. But how do you take care of yourselves as well to last? It's a great question and so important for anybody working with any sort of cause. Um, something even when I worked at Dress Number that we really focused on too is self-care because you need it in order to sustain your advocacy or you'll get burnt out. Um, and I think for Faye and I, like back, thinking back to when we first started talking about how can we make a difference together, we were like thinking of really like outlandish things that we could do. Like maybe we should go to the park where we know that there's traffic because there's areas in LA where, you know, if you go and you like watch, you could probably spot potential trafficking situations happening. And back then it was all about like looking for the signs and um, and calling the, the hotline, which is still important to do. But we were like going to go down and like investigate. We're like, you know what? That feels very stressful. And there's people who are trained like detectives and things that do that they should probably so, do that yeah yeah like I don't know if it's safe for us to go into these areas and just be like watching and taking notes like we I think we just had to learn like our place that made sense for us and so um for us like partnering partnering with this nonprofit that works with survivors um it's just really life-giving to us because um we we will go in person and volunteer there too and it's just so special to get to hear their stories and um, and not always just their story, like the negative stories, but more their stories of hope, like where they're going and their dreams and their passions and to see them and what they've overcome and um, just gleaning wisdom from them um, and just seeing their joy. It's like also inspiring to us. And so basically anytime we get to go in person and volunteer, it just like fills us up so much to help sustain us because there's definitely times where 
not even with just the subject of trafficking, but, you know, just having this business that we work on for 10 years after work, because we both had full-time jobs, it's like, it gets exhausting. And then, and then on top of it, dealing with heavy subject matter and trying to raise awareness and fight misinformation. It's just like, it's hard. Um, But then, you know, when you go and you meet these women and see them face to face, you're like, okay, this is the reason, this is why we do what we do. And it just really motivates us. Um, And besides that, just personally, I could recommend like therapy is amazing too. (laughs) Therapy and self-care and and scheduling time for yourself. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I think you also bring up a really good point there on how you decided, you know, instead of going to the park and watching people, you decided to, you know, pair up with someone um, that has that as a focus. Because uh, I can recognize that as well when when we worked with Yumi, which is how how we met, which was one of my social entrepreneurial companies. We worked with clean, clean drinking water. And it was a lot of these discussions on, you know, there are a lot of organizations out there on most issues today. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there will come up new issues, you know, with AI and there'll be probably new profits, yeah. you know, not profits always coming out, but on the many of the basic ones, like food, shelter, clean water, sanitation, trafficking, um, I mean, you name it, there are organizations that know what they're doing. And I think as an entrepreneur, uh, you are kind of keen to always want to do everything your own way and you want to start new things. But I think in this instance, it probably is a good idea you know, if someone has worked on clean water in Africa for, you know, 70 years, might be a better idea, you know, to pair <laughs> up. Because I think instead, sometimes also instead of having a thousand different organizations trying to do the same things, I think we can learn a lot from from each other and kind of, you know, pair up in masses um, and do it together. That's true. Rather than like competing for donations with the nonprofit that's already like really proficient at it. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, what, uh, what lights you up? Well, kind of like what I just said, the the survivors light us up, like their faces, their journeys, and just getting to hug them and do art with them and um, walk alongside them. Like that is why the Tote Project is still around 10 years later. That's beautiful. And I mean, your passion for for it still 10 years later is really contagious. Oh, thank you. And then on the other side of the coin, what makes you angry? Going back to the misinformation and um, people using human trafficking as like a political tool or something um is very frustrating uh to us especially because going back to that example of the survivor who or at that point like it would be the victim who is you know kind of tricked and manipulated into sex trafficking and she has to realize that she's being trafficked in order to get away from that situation like if if the narrative in the media is that like human trafficking is when you're getting gas and a van pulls up and like pulls you into the van and drives you away and forces you into a brothel you're not going to think that you're trafficked because you're like that's not all what 
it looks like to me. And so we've heard from a lot of survivors that that's like the biggest hurdle um, is like, quote unquote, rescuing themselves. And so they need to like, we need to have the right information out there. And like TikTok, for instance, is full of like fake information about trafficking. So it drives me crazy. If you go in and type human trafficking, like the, I've only looked a couple of times and I'll just like scroll through all the different videos. All of them are incorrect. Like it made me want to like get really active on TikTok and just like start posting things that are actually true because like all these videos are going viral and they're just not helpful at all. So it just, it really irritates me. <laughs> That's an interesting topic that you bring up there. Cause I was actually going to ask that before how has how do you think social media has i don't know made has it made it worse or has it make it just my assumption is that it's maybe another way uh that grooming can take place but i don't know what's your experience with that yeah we definitely have heard that a lot of grooming happens on social media especially with like the younger girls and stuff um and so that's definitely a concern like these apps and who's contacting your kids on these apps like that for sure is a concern um especially when it comes to like like pornography kind of trafficking and people asking for pictures and that sort of thing because you don't know who's at the other end of the phone um but um I would say I mean it's helped and hurt it it's helped and the awareness has spread and even like we talked about this during like the rise of QAnon where um we were actually on a call with um the government they used to do these like i don't know every couple of months there'd be a call that everybody who fights trafficking could dial in and like hear from the government about what the biggest needs were and i remember um one month they're like we just have to fight the misinformation that QAnon is spreading and like stand up to them because um it was just rampant all over social media with there's like the save the children campaign going on and because what's was unfortunate that, sorry to interrupt but that was, um, the, was that the pizza place thing yeah that was part of it and i think it like it, yeah. evolved into something else but like hillary clinton having a pizza parlor or whatever she was oh, yeah, trafficking kids and, yeah okay yeah and then i think the wayfair thing was part of that and then um save the children was just this like idea that all of our kids were at risk of being kidnapped and trafficked which it could happen, but it's like, it's, that's not what it usually looks like. Like I've never met a trafficking victim here in Los Angeles or anywhere in America. It's been trafficked that way. Um, and I'm sure it happens sometimes. Like, I don't want to totally discredit it, but for the fact for every like mom to be on high alert for it is, is not necessary. It's like, you're going to miss the actual signs of trafficking. If you're only looking for that. You're only looking for that. Yeah. And so it's like, um, anyway, yeah, it, I feel like at the same time, though, it's beautiful to see this huge group of people passionate about wanting to fight human trafficking. And so it's interesting to me to try to figure out how do we meet them where they're passionate and try not to be, because sometimes people will try to fight it. And to me, it came across as condescending, like acting like, oh, you guys don't know what you're talking about. And it's like, you know, trying to meet them with like, I love your passion and your commitment to fighting trafficking. Like, here's how we could actually use your help and um, trying to kind of like re- um, Just redirect re it like a degree yeah. or two. It, it, yeah, I think that, yeah. I totally, I, I totally so. agree. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think discouraging or, you know, 
looking down on anyone is going to bring any good because no no person likes to be treated that way and I think Mm -hmm. if we act like that around issues we are passionate about we just run the risk of turning people the complete you know other way around Absolutely. And then especially with it, everything's so politicized in America with like people kind of choosing political sides over it. It's like, this has always been a bipartisan issue that everyone agrees there shouldn't be human trafficking, no labor trafficking, no sex trafficking. Like we can all agree on that, which is nice. It's like, there's not many things that both parties here in the U.S. can agree on. Um, But I would love to see it just like everybody to agree on the ways to find it together and instead of kind of being divided. So anyway, something for us to work on. (laughs) Definitely. And you were mentioning earlier how in the beginning that you had, you know, normal jobs and you were kind of doing the tote project at the end of the day. What, what did you have to say no to in order to be on this journey? My gosh, probably so many things. Um, When I was younger in the beginning, had a lot more energy. And so I could do it all. I could work my full-time job, take a nap, go to a concert, come home, work on the tote project for like hours. And go to bed. It was As nice, I'm, isn't it? It was nice. It would, it would be nice if you could bottle that energy and then just, you know, open that bottle up when you were older. Wouldn't it? My gosh, I know. It's, it's pretty crazy looking back on that. Like now as a parent, I should say there's a ton of things I'll have to say no to because it's really just busyness and like, I don't know, we, we have a lot of social life things going on, a lot of invitations to things. And, um, definitely, you know, especially when you're working and doing pop-ups and things like that, I would have to say no to a lot of, you know, like fun get togethers and things because I would have pop-ups, especially during the holidays, like, okay, it's getting to be October. So every weekend now we're going to be busy with this or that. And that's um, often, I assume, on a weekend or in the evening, so stuff when people can obviously go up and uh, go out and ex- do their holiday shopping. Exactly. But it's kind of interesting because in a way, like your question interests me because it's like, well, I used to always say no to all my like social gatherings and just focus on doing this every weekend. But also now, again, now that I'm a parent, it's like I want my child to be able to go to birthday parties and do things. And so I've actually started saying no to myself going to those events now on the weekends because speaking about like self-care and not getting burnt out I can't just like put like fill all of my free time with work because even though I'm passionate about it if I get burnt out I'm not going to be able to help anymore um help the cause anymore and so um it's been cool as we've grown we've been able to figure out ways to hire people to do the things that we used to spend all of our extra time doing. Um, we've been trying to hire um, survivors to help us with pop-ups so that um, they great. can make some extra money and and then we don't have to do them constantly. But a lot of times they're looking for extra jobs and stuff. So we've been trying to get creative and, and outsourcing and bringing more people into the realm of the Tote Project. <laughs> That's great. And I mean, often we talk about, you know, opportunity costs, like, what yes. what's the actual cost but I think you can also compare like there might be an opportunity cost in the form of dollars but it could also be in the form of energy and sometimes it might be of value to use dollars to gain energy as well absolutely yes so we can just focus on the things that we really need to focus on 
So exactly, yeah, you nailed it. Uh, we're going to start wrapping up a little bit, but I have a few more questions. Sure. Um, what is the one thing that you spent a lot of time doing in your childhood that you wished you had more time for now? Um, definitely reading. I was a bookworm. I would read like, like before school started, sometimes in elementary school, I had read every book that we were like all of our school books. Like I remember one year, um, like I didn't have to even participate in like half of my um, elementary school class because I'd already done everything and read it all. And so I got to like color and do like, I randomly, they had me making placemats. I would like draw pictures on placemats and like laminate them. And that's what I did because I like read so much. Because you already read kind of, so much. What if uh, you read, if you had more time to read now? Would you read more most fiction or nonfiction? Do you have a favorite? Well, that's the thing too. Because when I do find time to read now, a lot of times it's nonfiction. It will be like business kind of entrepreneurial you learn, books. Yeah, yeah, or like spiritual books. I, like I like reading like those kind of encouraging you know books as well. But I I was actually an English minor in college, and I did it just for like English literature and. Um, I just love like like fiction so I would love to get back to reading fiction in my free time I hope yeah I hope you do I hope so too it's one of those things I need to just do it like you know what when I'm scrolling on Instagram at night like what's the point I should just read a chapter of a book instead and be more intentional about that yeah and I mean I saw some I saw some quote I can't remember exactly what it was but it said something you know if you read if you only read 10 pages a day that's x amount of pages a year which equals x amount of books that you know just reading a couple of pages a day actually mounts up to quite a few books and I think as adults we become very transactional you know I think that's why we tend to read so much nonfiction because we think that we should get something out of everything we do but I think reading fiction is a little bit the same as you know playing or drawing or dancing I think we actually do get a lot out of it because it sparks our imagination our creativity our joy and I think all of those things are sources that we actually draw our productivity out of like down the line as well yes that's so true you've inspired me maybe I'll read something tonight after this (laughs) (laughs) that's great uh, and if you were to give the listener one simple thing that they could do today to create impact for humanity or the planet, what would that be? Let me think about that one. That's a great question. I would say to keep an open mind. Um, that's a simple thing that could be helpful in many different ways. I feel like today where society is at is everybody's very like divided and I don't know what it's like in Sweden, but in America, it's like this right now where people are very suspicious of each other and um, easily like frustrated with each other. And I find myself falling into this too. Um, But trying to see another person's perspective and have empathy and understand where another person is coming from, I think um, would be just really helpful because in order to make an impact in any of these areas, it requires people working together. So as we become more and more divided, even with technology dividing us and just all the things that divide us, like having an open mind to like your neighbor and wanting to, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt, I think um, 
would be really healing for us all. <laughs> it's a beautiful reminder. Thank you. And lastly, how can we support you and Faye and the Tote Project in the best possible way? Well, they're um, in the simplest of ways. Following us on social media is always great. Like engaging with us. Um, I know on social media right now, there's like all these algorithms that make it hard to to get your posts seen. And if if anybody wants to like and comment on our posts, that's great because that helps you know, more people see it and more, more awareness of the word being spread. Um, and of course, shopping from us, we would love to have your guys' business. Um, we are just so excited to have, we just launched a new collection actually with an artist named Eleonora. Um, and it's this really fun, like graphic art, um, bright pops of color. We have like colored handles on our tote bags now um, for the special collection. Thank you. Um, and do you ship so, do you ship worldwide? Um mostly. I think there's a couple countries that shop because we go through Shopify, I feel like yeah. Um a couple places it doesn't ship to, but primarily everywhere. So yeah. And then you have the new product line coming out in November as well. Yes. So ahead of like all the holiday rush, where we just found out today that they're getting in early. Um we're so excited. Good we're news. worried. It would be like after Black Friday, but it'll be before like the big shopping rush. So that's good. <laughs> that's great. All right. Again, thank you so much, uh, Michelle, for taking the time and for really for the inspiration and for also really letting us all, letting us all know that, you know, we're all needed and that we can all do something. Thank you, Alex. This was really wonderful. I loved catching up with you. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much. Thank you for using your precious time to listen to the We Are All Needed podcast. And if you find the podcast valuable, please rate, review, and most importantly, share this episode so that we can spread more goodness out there in the world. If you want to work with me, find out more about the guests or the community, please jump on over to www.thecircularentrepreneurs.com. Until next time.